Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. My name is Seamus Murphy. So today we will be focusing mainly on grassland efficiency. And today I'm joined by Davy McCracken, the head of SRUC's Hill and Mountain Research Centre, Kev Bevan, a senior agricultural economist with SSE Consulting, and Andrew Taylor, an agricultural consultant with SSE and a local dairy and beef farmer. What impact have you seen of the recent drought and before that the long wet winter that preceded the the snow well certainly the last autumn's wetness and the sort of the the, the cold and, and very very exposed and um, winter that we actually had up in at captain octotire and uh, that really knocked our sheep back wasn't really wasn't really having much an impact on the grass itself uh, other until we got into the spring and then that's where the sort of soil temperatures were just so low that the our grass growth did start in early spring but it was just slow getting away but once it started to get away the soil temperatures were really coming up and it was starting to go but then mid-June that's when we got uh, hammered but nothing like for us what's happening elsewhere in the country. We are certainly seeing a uh, beef cows housed in August uh, a lot of air service the same uh, struggled through the winter uh, certainly calvings were back number of calves born and now I've seen a lot of beef cows struggling with fertility issues now uh, just after such a prolonged spell however uh, everything's doing doing well off that great spell of weather we've had and grass growth was slipping uh, speaking to a local farmer who went from 60 kilograms of dry matter growing a day down to 16 and now this week he reckons he's grown 100 so there's massive variability and trying to control that grass is becoming a real issue as he's really having to make his cows work hard to keeping top of it. Yeah, and picking up uh, on the uh, impact on stock condition, uh, last autumn, uh, as a result of that, uh, there was major shortfalls in the scan percentage for sheep. Of course, if they were lambing in March as well, it was also hit at that end. So there's actually a lot less lambs on the ground this year because of uh, the combined effects. Um, yes, there was a couple of weeks of ideal weather, but we then managed to go straight from winter into into summer uh, which caused problems in that um, a lot of under pressure pastures um, simply headed very quickly and as a result we were then into a shortage of grass um, for the for, for the reason of, uh, of lack of moisture and this is almost compounded by the fact that that long winter silos pits are empty there's no extra fodder Certainly, they're never just trying to make as much silage as possible, trying to hold stock tight, and yet they'll need to open up and give as much ground, ground and grass to stock to keep them going. It's, it's only going to compound the problem coming forward to this winter. Yeah. Certainly, up at, up at Kirkton Otter Tire, we, um, last year we got, you know, it's, it's one of these sort of trade-off type things. So last year we made the sort of 320 bales of silage that we would need. And it was reasonable quality silage, but blooming wet. This year we've only made about 200 bales um, of silage, but it, well, it's actually haylage we've actually made. We've actually made some very good low moisture uh, haylage this year, but we've only got two, 200 bales of it. So we're needing to, well, uh, uh, you and our farm manager, he's um, shut off two fields. Again, we're going to try for a second cut. We've never had a second cut up here in our life, so it's quite risky. It's not that the grass won't grow, the grass is starting to grow again now. It's just that it's risky for us in that high rainfall environment whether we can actually get one And if we can't go onto those fields to cut, we can't put the cows through it late autumn either, otherwise, we're just going to actually decimate the field. So it's a, you know, we probably like others 
are, are taking some risks this autumn, trying to actually get something in, in the on the ground that we can actually harvest for for into the winter. So it's probably worth saying it's a better uh, set of affairs than it was twelve months ago, with uh, much the same challenges, but at least the sun's on our backs rather than having to walk about with a rain jacket on every day. Everly optimistic. <laughs> and have you seen any improvements over the last few weeks where the weather has the drought has been lifted and grass has begun to grow again? Well, again, you know, we are probably atypical in our part of the world up here around Queen Larrach. You know, it has hit us, so our grass growth was certainly checked with the cold spring and then checked again with the, with, with the dry, dry conditions. But actually our rainfall has just been average for the last couple of months. So we have had rain, and so it hasn't knocked us back as much as it had, has for anybody else, sort of thing. Soil temperatures are still way up there, so, you know, if we get, and if the rest of the country gets some more decent rain and that heat that's here today is still still there then there's a good chance we'll get some grass growth it's just what you do with it sort of thing yeah we, we get 70 mils of rain in the last three days of july which was two-thirds of the rain we got in the whole of july and grass growth since then has been absolutely phenomenal it's allowed us to take, take the pressure off take the silage buffer out of the ration and back onto an all grass ration at home and it's really made a difference getting some getting some moisture back in the ground yeah, I don't think um, uh, we have to qualify the fact that we haven't recovered quite incredibly in the last few weeks um, in, in, in Asia. Um, but uh, certainly uh, there's large parts of Scotland are not as in as good a position. And uh, at the moment in Asia, we're probably in a position where we can recover quite a bit if we're careful and sensible in the next couple of months. So, so that's well, yeah, that's our, our problem with cutting. You have no idea what's going to happen mm-hmm. weather wise, but normally our grass would actually stop growing at the beginning of September, yeah, yeah. you know, and that's it. Yeah, yeah I, I, like I think now we're in uh, the 3rd of August. Like, again, you've got to budget cautiously now in terms of what growth you can get in terms of grass, you know, for the next couple of months. Like, typically in upland yeah. Ayrshire, even, yeah. we would say don't rely on anything after the end of September. So we're already under 60 days of, um, you know, what would normally be relatively, you know, declining pasture growth rates. Now, there is a certain amount of bounce we're getting at the moment, and one of the key things is, importantly, you've got to get your pasture covers up to a level where they can grow to their potential. And that seems to be an issue at the moment where there's a lot of set stock farms where basically, even though things have greened up, the pastures are still not in a position to really start growing. Um, so you need to get that done first, then application of nitrogen, you know, can certainly, as Andrew suggested, you know, with the good grass growth rates, we would we would expect to get really unseasonally good grass growth in the next uh, six weeks. Um, but farmers have got to get their fields into a position to do that. So what can farmers do right now to try and improve their their grassland coming into the end of the season? What practical measures can they implement or management strategies? I think you're in the perfect position to start paddock grazing right now. If you've never done it before, it's almost a chance to break out the spring rotation planner again. Uh, farms are almost back to level zero and they're starting to grow, so definitely uh, split, up pad- split up fields even if it's just half in field. Given half a rest and graze the other half, you you'll see the see the difference. 
and it'll drive you to, to divide up Bannock's more and, and get more grass cleaned that way. And as Kev says, even if you're not actually going the, the whole hog, hog paddock grazing, just get a bloody sword stick out and actually get a better idea of what you're at. Take the pressure off it where you can to give it that chance to sort of get to a stage where it will get away um, over the next few weeks. But if it's if you're just continually sort of take, take, taking, it's grass is a wonderful thing, but the more you heavier you graze it, the less chance, the longer it will take to actually come away. We don't have that sort of time frame left yeah. at this end of the season. So. Yeah, you, you, you've got to be rotationally grazing now. And one of the issues that we'll get on quite a few farms is where the uh, fences are up to the task, because really we've got to control low priority stock so at this point in time, um, in terms of weaned animals on flocks, or you know, it's hard to it's hard to justify any uh, flocks that are not weaned uh, at this point, because by doing that, you immediately prioritise young lambs over especially good condition ewes if you have ewes in good condition. But um, so so that's where we have to start first is look where you can prioritise uh, stock. Um, what that might require if you've got a balance of land where you have got some rough grazing is you can put, you know, um, low priority stock onto on or onto hills, etc., to get them off your off your best land. So so once you've started to lift your grazing pressure and at this point in time, like we said, even though some fields are green, you still probably need a couple of weeks to get them basically enough grass on them so that you can really start to justify your fertilizer um, going on. So that's important that you know your feed requirements and you know how to prioritize uh, livestock. One of the issues is that um, in terms of fences, um, it might be a matter of mobbing groups of livestock together that you've never grouped together in the past. So, you know, groups of cattle and sheep that you would never normally put in the same field. Yeah. You might well be saying, right, low priority, they can all go in that big field, but because you've put so many stock in there, that's released your other fields to give them a chance to grow. And for the sake of two pounds a metre for a single strand electric fence, it's not a it's not a dear setup to, to do and the, the benefits are that'll pay for itself more more than ten times over uh, for the lifetime of that, that fence equipment. And the condition of your animals is crucial as well as Kev says you know we'll be weaning in the next 10 days and we condition scoring and making sure that we know what the condition our ewes are in half our battle this triple whammy that we have that, that everybody's had with the wet summer and autumn last year the cold winter and then the, the, the sort of drier conditions our issue with with lambing was the fact that our ewes last year actually ended up weaning lighter than on average than they would have done and they just never made it up and hopefully put in provision now that we can pick that up even quicker than we did last year but it's even more crucial now at weaning know what the condition of your user like and actually prioritize those ones that are in poorer condition to actually give them a, 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 a higher priority and sort of treat them differently don't wait another month or so before you start thinking let's get them let's get them sort of a bit ready start it now and same same with beef cows and dairy cows if they're in calf and they're low in condition consider drying them off just now take the calves off them and look after that cow because if you don't, it's going to be nine months down the line. She might lose, might drop her calf because of low condition, and then your uh, problems just keep compounding. Yeah, the the um, a key thing that goes with the condition is in terms of uh, uh, animal health. 
And one of the issues we might get now that we have got rain is we might get a burst of worms. But we will. Uh, we will. We will get a burst of worms. So uh, again, it's an underused tool, but fecal egg counts are a very useful way of identifying what the, the worm status of your, of your herd or flock is. And uh, we certainly encourage the, the use of that. It's also one or two people now uh, seeing basically cattle with respiratory problems and it's shown up as longworm and being grazed so tight during that dry spell or it's directly beneath and ingesting the, yeah. the worms and that's the stage they're at so it's certainly worming definitely. So it all sounds a bit like a catalogue of disasters coming yeah. forward but you know it is a case of just sort of if possible stepping back a little from your own farm and then just taking a big deep breath and then just looking and just trying to think well actually what how how, how many stock have i got where actually are mm -hmm. they what grazing resource do i have what sort of fodder resource do i have is it feasible to try and get some more fodder in over the next sort of month or so you know where do i have sort of hangers on within the flock or the herd sort of thing in previous years you might have said right we'll give it another go or whatever but no you know this year is is where you should be looking to try and call that wee bit harder don't you know they're going to be extra mouse if they're not going to be productive at all get rid of them yeah yeah, yeah. And, and, and probably at unpalatable prices as well interestingly last year certainly initially the store lamb trade was very strong um, unfortunately this year that's not the case so um, when people advise that you know, if you're going to be short of feed, one way of reducing feed demand is to sell store, um, that's going to be unpalatable for a lot of people. Now, unfortunately, as the Australians will tell you, um, it's often Hobson's choice. You know, there isn't a choice. That said, there's normally within a mob of lambs, there'll be ones where you'll get a relatively better price for them. So, it's again, as Davey's saying, it's going through your lamb crop just to identify the ones where that would be a better demand for, and then you can focus attention on finishing the ones which are probably nearer to finishing weights, or even the ones at the other end of the scale, which are the really little ones, which you practically would be giving away at this point in time. So. Um, it all comes back to managing your way out of the, the problem rather than sticking your head in the sand. Yeah, the big thing we've got to think about is fertility. We've, we've got to look long term. It's a knock on effect. It's not going to fit. And anyway, if you, if you carry too many stock just now, you'll not get your, your yows or your cows cycling. Uh, you'll not get them in lamber car, and then the, the problem's just compounded to next year, and it'll, it'll keep rolling on. You've got, you've got to fight the problem now, destock a bit, get the gentle those most breeding animals, get your stock on the ground for the next year. The, the, you know, at this particular point in time, as I said, in this part of the world, we've, we've got the opportunity to, to basically grow a lot more grass in the next two months than we normally would. So how do we maximise that is, is the key thing. Now, nitrogen fertiliser will be part of that. Now, again, as ever with these things, the price of nitrogen fertiliser has increased quite a bit in the, in, in the last month. But even so, we do a calculation with can fertilizer, 27% nitrogen, and that's working out about just under eight pence a kilogram of dry matter at the, at the moment. Basically, if you're assuming that you can grow about 10 kilograms for every kilogram of nitrogen you put on. Now that compares to concentrates, you know, a compound at probably something like 25 pence per kilogram of dry matter. So at this point in time, if you've 
can grow that extra grass nitrogen is worth you know applying now it comes to Davy's point then is how you utilize it mm. now um, there's obviously you can take it and, as a cut pretty expensive but certainly if you've got cattle you know pretty you know pretty important now the other way though is obviously how to ration that is to basically build you know pasture up in situ up in, in the field and then ration that you know further into the winter than we normally would now that's a lot more possible with lighter animals sheep and lighter cattle than it is with you know suckler cows so you then start to bring into it where you know we're probably weaning um, spring suckler herds quite a bit earlier than normal and a lot of farmers you know that won't be something that they would possibly even still be contemplating on doing but uh, you need to look at possibly um, you know doing doing that yeah but also you know again it's another one of these it's there, there, there's no um one answer for fits everyone sort of thing you know the up our way the more you try and take grass through into the late part of the autumn the early part of the winter the more risky it is it's just going to get hammered by the first sort of frost mm-hmm. you know so it's 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 one of these sort of balance type things you, usually we are still trying to husband in a normal year we're still trying to husband our our lowland grass resource and as far as we can into the mm-hmm. into the autumn um, and, and and managing it sort of carefully but that's one of the things that I can't remember I think it was last year I think it was two years ago we just had to say well look you know we've got plenty of grass here but we're not going to hold on to it over the next few months mm-hmm. let's just let's just use it now and it wasn't it wasn't at this time of year it was it was later on but not that much later up our way so because mm-hmm. uh, the weather you know when the weather changes it changes in that sense yeah obviously it's easier further down the hill and in this part of the country because what would typically happen on our typical dry stock beef sheep farms is that the cattle would come in you know in the autumn and that releases that makes the farm a heck of a lot bigger for the remaining sheep so we do tend to ration you know grass perhaps unwillingly most of the time by accident but by simply doing that we do have grass that takes us most of the way into the into the winter so it is more of an option you know on, on, on the better ground what's what's the because yeah, I don't know, but you know, what's the price of hay likely to be this year? Because I mean, driving around the country the last few weeks, there's been plenty of hay being made in places. Yeah, 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 and I think that comes on to in terms of um, you know, there's quite a lot of uh, farmers that perhaps have semi-retired, etc., that have been have been cutting and taking hay in the last month. So there is the opportunity to knock on the neighbour's door yeah. who's done it and just to ask them because there has been some opportunistic. You know, baling of, of hay, and it's and generally it's cracking stuff. Yeah, no, no. I've been surprised the number of square balers I've must have come out of a museum somewhere. Yeah, someone but, told me the other day. I don't think there's been a bad bale of hay made. This yeah, year. no, I reckon I can well believe it. Mm-hmm. But you've got to, you're going to be looking for hay. Bales should be working out now. Yeah, no, no, yes, exactly. And the, mm-hmm. there's no point waiting till December, January time because everyone else will have went and bought this bale of hay from your neighbour. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the case of, if you are going to go down that route, working out well, what would I use the heat for? We we would prioritise it. Mm-hmm. You know, what what how how would that then sort of free up some of the grazing or the sort of silage resource that I've actually got for some of my other animals, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 complex, but it's not it's not that complicated. No, and it really does come back to that we need to be better at feed budgeting. 
um, if you had this discussion with an Australian, you know, like where you know the the ongoing shortage of feed and impact of droughts, then they they as a you know it's it's a standard budget for them to do is a feed budget. The New Zealanders are the same. Um, interestingly, we had the same problem for the opposite reason last year of poor pasture growth rates going into the you know from midsummer onwards. Mm. Um, as Andrew said, though, at least we're getting a suntan this year out of it. Well, I mean, you know, a number of folk have said to us when they come and visit us, farmers and stuff, you know, uh, especially a lot of them that are now associated with the sort of monitor farm programme and are actually starting to think a bit more deeply about things. They're starting to say, well, I'm actually not a sheep or a beef farmer anymore. I'm a forage and a fodder farmer. That's where you put the focus in yeah. their sort of situations. And, you know, we're probably getting ahead of ourselves here. That's, that's more looking to the sort of the, the, the medium to longer term, but certainly actually getting a better handle on what your farm is capable of in any type of year mm -hmm. and trying to sort of manage more towards that is a big way of the, a big part of the way forward. So do you think we need to move towards trailing grass as a crop? Yes. Well, treat, well, we, we, we argue very strongly in, in our demonstration side of things. It's not just the, the grass, it's going back to go back right back to your basics. Let's get, uh, and I know a lot of people do do it, but the more the higher up the hill, you, uh, the, the less you, you get, even in the invine fields, get in there, get a better handle on what your soil pH is, what your soil nutrients is, get, bring that up to make sure that anything that you're putting into that field is going to be actually mobilized to best effect. And then keep on top of the grass in terms of keep measuring them. Keep measuring it and make sure you're actually utilising it to best effect as the as it goes through the year. Start doing that. It'd be great if you started doing that in a normal year. But if you'd start doing that, start to do that as a matter of course, then it becomes a bit easier to then start to sort of adapt a little as as, as you get too much grass, or you get into this year to like too little grass or anything. But yeah, very much looking at at, at grass as a as a as a, an actual crop and not just somewhere to sort of park your livestock where you can't really find out where else for them to go. I you know one of the, the problems that came this year having that terrible autumn and winter last year was that pasture covers on pasture they were driven right down into the dirt by the end of March and as a result of that even when the good weather come there was no grass to grow grass and so on most farms this year there hasn't been a period where everything was wonderful. Now one of the things that comes off the back of that certainly on a beef sheep farms is we probably need to question where we where our lambing date is now generally it's on most of our farms it fits in because we're also calving cows as well but um, even moving um, dropping lambing date uh, back into the spring by uh, a week can make an incredible difference in taking pressure off the past years at that time of the year you're certainly hearing that more people are thinking of lambing a bit later um, because April actually has been, if you look back in recent years, I think it is the driest month in uh, this part of Scotland, I think, isn't it? Or, or, it's, or it's been predictably dry um, well, in recent po years. Possibly in this part of Scotland, yes. Yeah. You know, we, are, we are similar, but for, for different reasons. We've actually moved our lambing up at Curtin Octa Tyre back, you know, later into the sort of the spring by a week to ten days, mm -hmm. you know, from middle to towards the end of April. Because with us April was 
becoming very, very challenging as far as our rainfall events were concerned. Whereas May is a lot historically in recent years, May's been a lot more sort of stable. This year it's been a bit too stable. Yeah. That, um, it was a lot, a lot better that way. I know, I know a lot of farmers would say, well, you know, that puts me a week closer to when I'm looking to sell. But in actual fact, if you've got the grass, your growth rates tend to more yeah. than compensate. So you grow your animals faster, mm-hmm. and um, so that uh, often surprising me or not. So we've spoken a lot about what farmers can do to try and try and anticipate a fodder shortage in the winter already. But if these kind of years, the last twelve months, if this is going to become more common, which some climate change studies would lead us to believe, how can farmers try and build resilience to their businesses? so that when these things do become more common maybe rather than once every 10 years they're happening once every five years or once every two years how can they build resilience against these large rainfall events drought snow what can they be doing now to try and build resilience well i would say it's trying to get a bit more sort of um, potential variety into the pastures in the first instance where you can so you know we have got a lot of single or relatively single species ryegrass pastures that have really suffered this year so uh, a range of different grass and maybe even legumes into your actual pasture with different root depths that can actually take water and nutrients from different depths to me would be a a, a way forward in the first instance maybe not every single field in your farm but just starting to actually you know put something in the bank in terms of that it's like putting something in a bank yeah well one of the things there um Unfortunately, with the, the very poor year that we had before this year, there was a lot of badly damaged pastures, uh, trafficked heavily, there was a lot of sword lifting couldn't go on last year. So the basics of getting draining uh, right is, 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 is so important, you know, the potential to grow pasture is going to be very limited if we've got panning problems and we've got uh, drainage problems. Trouble is, it's often, you know, it's a generally a pretty expensive uh, thing to do um, but it, that needs to be right yep. and pH as well pH and P and K levels we've banged on about it for years but it's still vital get that right and grow the grass and then think about uh, putting nitrogen on uh, to grow even more but no get that right like like Kev says get your get a compaction sorted out it's 200 pound an acre for a reseed a swath lifter yeah 30, 40, 50 pounds an acre. So start to look after your soil a bit better. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you still have to, you still have to, you know, the soil will help your grass, yeah. but you still have to look after the grass as well. Yeah. It's, it's very easy, as Kev's said a number of times, you know, to actually overgraze and, you know, for whatever reason and hammer that grass. So the, the soil can still be brilliant beneath it yeah. in terms of pHs and organic matter and yeah. nutrients, etc. But if you're, if you're over utilizing that grass, so it, is a, it is a combination of being a bit more smarter in your feed sort of thing. Yeah. And, and, and the feed budgeting, we come back to that. We have got to be, I've got to take a, a leaf out of the Australians and Kiwis on this. But they had similar, um, very similar weather pattern in New Zealand in the last 12 months. And, but what they did late spring, early summer, when they were going into a drought after a bad winter, it then went warm is they basically um, took action almost immediately in terms of to reduce grazing pressure. So there was a lot of store lambs sold, there was a lot of lambs killed lighter than normal. And so basically they took action. Now, what happened later in the summer, they recovered incredibly well, um, but they were in a position then to 
benefit from that. We have got to be far better at being able to identify a problem coming up before it actually hits us so you can take action. You know, the Farming for a Better Climate programme, I mean, we're, we're not suddenly, everybody's not suddenly sitting here saying, oh my God, we've had a, a triple, triple whammy with, you know, wet, cold, drought. You know, the things like the Farming for a Better Climate programme have been actually looking at what farmers can be doing to sort of mitigate the impacts of climate change for the last, goodness knows, four, five, six years sort of thing. So there, there is information out there and help and advice out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a case of trying to actually um, uh, access it. Yeah. The flexibility is a key thing about, you know, as you say, building into your, into your farm system long term. You being able to know the, uh, the, 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 the groups of animals that you can offload um, quicker than I think. Cattle is actually, there's plus points about sucklers in that cattle you can you can sell the youngsters at various ages and there's ready markets for them. The downside of suckler systems tends to be the cow tends to be a very fixed requirer of feed. And so one of the issues there is, you know, in terms of our cow size and having the flexibility in the cow. The cow is tremendous at taking surplus feed and putting it on her back to use in bad times. So exploiting the biology of a suckler cow is important, but you've got to have the right type of cow uh, to be able to do that. And you might have to, dare I say, um, give up some of the, what you think of as um, an animal or produce the type of calf you want to sell. So there might be a little bit of a trade-off to having a cow that is more capable of dealing with these this more variable um, you know, growth. I think the other thing we've got to look at is uh, if you're finding yourself in this position year in, year out, you've maybe got to look at stocking levels on your farm mm-hmm. and maybe ask stocking too, too high based upon what the farm can carry now. Mm-hmm. I, know, I know there's a lot of farms, a few more ewes, a few more ewes, a few more cows, and it's just compounding that they're consistently having to buy in feed, where it's maybe taking the, take the pressure off a bit, do those ones better. Maybe more profitable in the long term. The other, the other thing to consider, especially if you're looking sort of long term, and I, I, I would urge most farmers to be looking sort of long term is what actual changes might you actually want to make on a sort of systems level, not just in terms of number of stock. Yep. So, I mean, you know, um, if, 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 if we were, you know, in central Spain and Portugal, then they use trees as, a, you know, not just shelter for stock, but shelter for the actual for the vegetation that's growing underneath it. So, you know, okay, agroforestry sounds a fancy term, but trying to actually get more trees into your into your farmed landscape can actually help. Driving around Scotland um, the last few months, you know, where you had a tree in a field, not only were the livestock under it, but that's where the, that's where the, the grass was still actually growing sort of thing. So, you know, trying to actually just say, well, what do we, if it is going to be something that's going to be a more longer term type thing, a regular occurrence, then utilising trees uh, and accepting, you know, so most agroforestry systems, you get the shelter from the trees, you get the shelter for the, for the actual vegetation growing underneath it. It sort of protects it a bit from the sort of drought conditions, but at some point when the tree gets to a certain size, then you are going to start taking away from the, not completely doing away with the grazing resource, but reducing the grazing resource under those trees. So it's just, it's just, the tree's got a competitive advantage, but that's all part of the trade-off. If you've still got shelter and you've still got actually some element of sward underneath it, now it won't be for everybody, but there'll be other there'll be some folk out there where it might actually be a, a useful thing to actually put into their system. So. I think one of the other things which potentially 
when we're looking at uh, post-Brexit policy, the opportunity to link up with farmers in uh, different parts of the country, livestock farmers in the west linking up with arable farmers in the east. So, you know, the growing of crops there, choices either transporting the crop back to the west, and we've traditionally done that, but also actually taking the livestock to the east. So especially if arable farmers might be required to increase organic matter levels, then they might quite like the fact that 500 uh, sheep come in their way for three months over the winter to, to turn a forage crop into, uh, into dung and organic matter. So um, we're likely to see, see more development of, of, of those sort of relationships as well. That's not all. It's not all doom and gloom kind of. There is a way. There is a way through it. It's as, as, as I think I said earlier. Just you know, don't panic. You know, it's, it's definitely not panic station. So uh, at all, you know. So it's but it's a case of just sort of sitting back a little and just starting to uh, just work out where where you actually are at the minute. You know, where where do you still have pinch points on the actual farm? Um, what scope do you have looking over the next couple of months immediately? Because that's going to be the sort of the, 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 the important point in the first instance. And what scope do you have to actually move, you know, move things around that? Actually, you know, get livestock off the farm early uh, or actually, uh, as Kev says, prioritise some of them and get, get others into, you know, less, um, uh, less, sort, of, less sort of productive productive ground, you know. Yeah, the one caveat I would put on on, on that, um, where we have had farmers, um, where these hill on farms that haven't been used for a number of years, be careful, especially there's been incidences with tech problems and uh, abortion problems mm-hmm. coming from, you know, putting um, uh, offers, etc. Oh, right, yeah, onto no, these areas. Yeah. So we have got to be, have a word with your vet. And I suppose that's a, that's a final point that I certainly say is, speak to your farming friends because they'll be going through it as well speak to your vet speak to your um, advisor because everybody's going through it so you know the experience is that if you talk about it you're more likely to get your mind around doing something about it sticking your head in the sand is definitely not the thing to do and this year will be the first year for many years that people are caught up with silage and everything else are get a bit of free time make the most of it Take your holiday, do those jobs in the farm, a bit of painting or whatever you want to do, but enjoy enjoy the weather. It's it's a it's a lovely time, and it'll be a year that we certainly remember, and hopefully you'll remember it for the right reasons and not the not the wrong reasons. So I think there's a lot farmers can do at the moment, and I think the main message here is to evaluate where you are now, and look to see where you're going to be in the future, six months, twelve months down the line, and try and act now to to mitigate anything that you might see coming. So I think that finishes up this Farm Advisory Service podcast. I hope that you found it useful and there is information there that you can use and implement on your own farm. There is loads of information on the Farm Advisory Service website and the Farming for a Better Climate uh, website also has a lot of information about how to build resilience on your farm. Uh, I'd like to thank Kev, Davey and Andrew for joining us today. Thanks very much. We hope you have a good summer.